I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. This afternoon we're going to be looking at what the church confesses in Lord's Day 7 about true faith. And the Lord Jesus in this chapter has a conversation with Nicodemus about faith, where it comes from, and what it is. So let's read John chapter 3, verse 1 to 21. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and, do not, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lift up, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Let's now turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to read two passages from Hebrews. First of all, from chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 13. The writer to the Hebrews is writing to Christians who are in danger of falling away from the faith. And he's exhorting them to continue to focus their faith on Jesus. And yet now he's talking about the surety of God's promise in this section. So let's read from Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, 
he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them the end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And let's skip ahead a few chapters to chapter 11, where the author explains what faith is, and then gives many examples of faith in chapter 11. Let's read chapter 11, verse 1 to 3. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were, made, were not made of things which are visible. So far, the reading of God's holy word, let's also read from the church's confession. In the Belgic Confession will read Article 5. In the Book of Praise, you can find that on page 500. The Belgic Confession begins by saying that there is only one God and then shows how God reveals himself to us God reveals himself to us through creation, but also through his word. And so the confession of the church in Article 5 shows us how God's word is something that we can trust. The authority of Holy Scripture, Belgic Confession, Article 5. We receive all these books, that's the books of the Bible, and these only as holy and canonical for the regulation, foundation, and confirmation of our faith. We believe without any doubt all things contained in them, not so much because the church receives and approves them as such, but especially because the Holy Spirit witnesses in our hearts that they are from God, and also because they contain the evidence of this in themselves, for even the blind are able to perceive the things foretold in them are being fulfilled. And finally, let's turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 7. This is going to be the focus of the message for this afternoon. Lord's Day 7. Are all men then saved by Christ just as they perished through Adam? No. Only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true 
all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. And then follows the articles of the Apostles' Creed, which we have just confessed. Dear brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, how would you describe your faith in God? It seems that the word faith has, has taken on a specific meaning in our culture. I looked up one of the words online, the word online, and one of the definitions said that faith is a firm belief in something for which there is no evidence, no proof. A, fa- a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. That was a definition for faith online. That seems to be how our culture understands faith, doesn't it? Because on the one hand, there are some things that we can know to be true. How many centimeters there are in a meter? How many acres of land we own? How far away from the earth the moon is? These are things that we can measure, we can test, we can empirically research, and we can know for sure that there are 100 centimeters in a meter that we own 14 acres of land and that the moon is 380,000 kilometers away from the earth. We have proof of these things. Science confirms them, and so we have no doubt. There's no problem believing science. But faith, faith is believing when we don't have evidence. It's believing what we don't have proof for. It's elusive, it's personal, and ultimately uncertain. At least that's how our culture defines faith, a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. But we'll see this afternoon that true faith is grounded in the sure revelation of God's trustworthy word. Faith is rational, it is reasonable, logical, because it rests in God's truth. In fact, there can be no more certain ground for our faith than in God's word, You see, everyone operates by faith at at some level. Right now, you all have faith in the chair that you're sitting on. You have faith that the chair is strong enough to support your weight, that it's not going to collapse. A firefighter has faith in his water hose that it's not going to leak water when he needs to fight a fire. A roofer has faith in his ladder as he climbs up to the roof. And boys and girls, you have faith in, in the fences at the zoo that they're going to keep the tigers and the rhinoceroses securely in their enclosures. A sailor has faith in the anchor of his ship, faith that the anchor will keep his ship secure during a storm. And as Christians, we have faith in a different anchor. We have faith in God, in Jesus Christ, who is our anchor, that nothing can separate us from his love. We have faith that he is strong enough to support our weight, 
that he is strong enough to carry us. We have faith that he provides for all of our needs because he has provided for our greatest need, which is the forgiveness of our sin, the restoration of our relationship with him. He has provided this need through Jesus Christ, and it's in him that we know that our faith is secure. Because we don't have faith in an elusive divine being whom we cannot know, but we have faith in a person, a person who walked on the beach in Galilee, who climbed the mountains of Ephraim, a person who touched people to heal them, proving by his words and his actions that he had authority to forgive sins, a person who proved his love for us by dying in our place, who proved that he had defeated sin and death by rising from the dead and appearing to many witnesses. Jesus is the object of our faith, the anchor for our souls, firm and secure. So this afternoon we'll look at Lord's Day 7 with this theme, believe in Christ as the anchor for your faith. First we'll see the need for true faith. Catechism so far has shown us our true and natural condition. Laws Day 2 to 4 has spoken about our sin and our misery. Our problem with our sin, which separates us from God, our sin, which means that we have, as question 20 says, perished through Adam. And so the Catechism has explored different options to escape this problem. Can we fix this problem ourselves? Can, can an animal fix it? Or will God just forgive us? And we've seen that the answer has been clear every time. Our sin is so great that it cannot be ignored. God is so holy that he cannot just dismiss it. And so you could say that we're in a terrible storm headed for a disastrous shipwreck. But praise be to God because he has, in his never-ending grace, given us a solution He's given us a mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, an anchor to keep us safe from the storm. We heard about the power of Jesus' name this morning to forgive us from our sins. And we also heard last week about how Jesus is our mediator, our mediator who is more than a negotiator. Perhaps you remember from last week, a negotiator stands between two parties to sort out their differences without actually being actively involved in the resolution. But our mediator does more than that because he takes our problem of sin and he takes it upon himself, upon his own shoulders. Jesus, as our mediator, has done everything to bring us back to God. He's released us from the prison house of sin and he gives us a new life with God. And we also heard last week that he is a willing mediator and that he is uniquely qualified as true man and true God. There's no other place that we could find a mediator like Jesus. The Belgic Confession, Article 26, says it so beautifully. There is no creature in heaven or on earth who loves us more than Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful sentence? There is no creature in heaven or on earth who loves us more than Jesus Christ. And this is the wonderful truth of the gospel that Jesus, true God, true man, has died to restore our relationship with God. But is Jesus a mediator for everyone? 
Is he a bridge connecting everyone to the Father? Will he be an anchor protecting everyone from the storm of God's judgment? And that's what question 20 is asking. Well, the answer is no, that Jesus is not a mediator for everyone. Only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. You know, this is sometimes a very hard teaching for us to understand, that Jesus chooses to save some, but it's helpful for us to remember that our natural sinful condition is our own fault, that everyone deserves eternal punishment from God. The fact that there is a Redeemer for anyone is an absolute work of grace, an astounding expression of God's love and mercy. And so while the Bible teaches us the good news about our mediator, it also doesn't shy away from the hard reality of hell. Jesus himself taught this truth in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, where he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the path that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Brothers and sisters, there are two paths with two very different destinations. One leads to eternal life, but the other leads to eternal destruction. It is not the case that Jesus saves every person on this planet. It is not the case that everyone is on the path to life. Hell is real. So if Jesus is not a mediator for everyone, then how do you know that he is a mediator for you? How do you know that you are on the path to life? Well, the Catechism says, only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. So to be saved, you must have true faith. John 1.12, as many as received Jesus, to them God gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So Jesus is a mediator for whoever believes in him, whoever has faith in him. An anchor in a ship, it, it offers no protection unless it's connected to the ship with a chain. And so in the same way, Jesus is not an anchor for us unless we are bound to him with the chain of faith. Jesus made this clear in his conversation with Nicodemus. He said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. But the opposite is also true. If you do not have faith, if you do not believe that Jesus is your Savior, then you will not be saved. John 3.36, the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. So we need to have faith. We need faith because it's by faith that we are grafted into Christ. We need faith because it's by faith that we accept all his benefits. So then the question naturally arises, well, what is true faith? We'll see in our second point the nature of true faith. Well, earlier we saw that, that everyone operates by faith. 
A, farm, a fireman has faith in his water hose. A roof, roofer has faith in his ladder. And a ship captain has faith in his anchor during a storm. And the biggest storm in all of our lives, as we have seen, is our sin which separates us from God, causing us to deserve eternal punishment, eternal shipwreck. But Hebrews 6, which we read from, tells us that we have Jesus as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure, which, who will protect us from shipwreck. He is the firm foundation on which our faith stands. He is our mediator. And faith is the chain which holds on to this anchor. Faith is saying, yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord God, I believe that although I deserve your punishment, although I deserve eternal shipwreck, although I believe I am not worthy to enter your present, merciful Father, I believe that Jesus is the anchor of my soul. I believe that he is my mediator. That's what faith is. Faith is saying, yes, Lord, I believe that Jesus is dying, has died for my sin, that he really came to this earth as a man, that he really sat in a boat and taught from the Sea of Galilee, that he really healed the lame man who was let down by his friends through, his, through the roof. You remember that story? That he really forgave that man's sins, that he really died on the cross, that he really defeated death and rose again on the third day. Yes, Lord. I believe. That's the voice of faith. It holds on to Jesus as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. Faith believes in Jesus and thus it also believes in his word. The Catechism says that faith is, first of all, a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed in his word. Because it's in his word that God has revealed who Jesus is to us. And so faith accepts God's word as reality, as truth. Faith is not primarily a feeling which makes us feel better when we feel down. But faith holds on to what is real, what is true. It's not an unrealistic optimism, just hoping for the best even when we know that's not realistic. But faith is grounded in the certain word of God, which we know will always come true. And we know that God's word is true because God's word comes from God, who is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This afternoon, we read from Article 5 of the Belgian Confession. And there we confess we receive the books of the Bible for the regulation, confirmation, and foundation of our faith and that we believe without any doubt all the things contained in them. Well, that's a strong statement, to believe without any doubt all things contained in the Bible. How do we know that we can trust the Bible? How can we believe all things in them without any doubt? Well, Article 5 gives us two reasons. And the first is that the Bible itself has evidence that it is written by God, it says, because they contain evidence of this in themselves. The scriptures themselves have evidence that they are divine. Kelvin says that they, have a, they breathe something divine, they have a divine sense in them. Sensus divinitatis is the word for this. For example, the Bible has a unity which can be found throughout the whole book. 
Just think about how many different human authors have been combined to form the Bible, people from Moses all the way through to the Apostle John. And yet every single book of the Bible, all, all of the books combine to form one message, despite numerous human authors. Everything in the Scriptures fit together. They all point to Christ, to the one message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And this unity of the Bible, this is one of the things which points to the divine to a divine author. As the Belgian Confession says, they contain evidence of this in themselves. And the Bible also claims itself to be written by God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all in Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 2 Peter 1.21, prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Peter also says that the writings of Paul belonged to the Scriptures. And so already in the time of the apostles, they, these writings were accepted as divine, as written by God himself. And so we can see that the Bible itself contains evidence that it's written by God, that it's true and reliable word. This is not a book which compares to other fiction on your shelf. But the evidence inside this book is plainly there. However, we also need eyes to see this evidence. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives us these eyes. Eyes to see that the Bible is no ordinary book. Eyes to see that the Bible is written by God himself to believe that God's word is true. And that's why Belgian Confession Article 5 also says that the Holy Spirit witnesses in our hearts that they are from God Thus, true faith accepts God's word as true. True faith says, yes, Lord, I believe that what the Bible says about you is true because they come from your words. I believe that the Bible is not a book of fairy tales about Jesus, but that it is the truth, that Jesus was really born through the Virgin Mary and that he is my Savior, as your word says. Hebrews 11 Verse 3 says that it is by faith that we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So faith gives us an understanding into the true nature of things, the way things really are. And thus we can say that faith is a sure knowledge. Sure knowledge in God's word. Well, what type of knowledge is this? This is a knowledge, brothers and sisters, that leads to life. John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So knowing God through his scriptures, it's not merely an academic pursuit, but this is a knowledge which leads to eternal life and communion with God. It's not like a research paper you write for school or simply nodding your agreement to a bunch of theological statements. But this is knowing God himself, and that's what the Apostle John says is eternal life. And the Catechism also continues with this definition, and it says that true faith is also a firm confidence. Because when we know God, when we have this relationship with God, we can have a firm confidence in him. Just like a sailor can know all sorts of things about his anchor, 
But if he never throws his anchor into the sea, he never displays trust in it. He doesn't have faith in his anchor until he throws it into the stormy waves, waves and holds onto it. And so we can also know all sorts of things about Jesus. We can even memorize words that he spoke. But in order to have faith in him, we need to trust him in a living relationship with him and believe that he is our personal savior. As the catechism says, a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me. So the voice of faith then says along with Paul in Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is faith. So then faith, is it a firm belief in something for which there is no proof? Simply hoping for the best but never being sure about the outcome? A sanctified optimism? No, brothers and sisters, true faith is placing your confidence in a person who is the most trustworthy, the most faithful, the one most worthy of your confidence. And we know that he is trustworthy and faithful because he has revealed himself as such in his word, in his steadfast and faithful word. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Brothers and sisters, is Jesus the object of your faith? Do you believe in him as the anchor for your soul? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. There is no firmer foundation, no better place to put your confidence, no place of which your confidence is more worthy than in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that he is your mediator, that he is the anchor of your soul? Well, in the third place, we'll see the content of true faith. Because if your ship is going through a storm, you'll want to know that you can trust your anchor. You want to know about your anchor. In order to trust your anchor, you want to find out some some things about it. You want to find out how heavy it is, what the shape is. Does it have a firm hook and what's that chain going to be like? Will it be able to hold pressure? Because when you find out this information about the anchor, that gives you confidence that it's going to hold you fast in a storm. In fact, the more you know about the reliability of your anchor, the more you can trust in it, the more you can know that you are secure and it's the same with our triune God, the more you know about Him, the more confident you can be in Him. One of my favorite music artists says it this way. He says, "If is your faith weak? It is owing to the fact that you don't know the object of your faith well enough. But when Jesus Christ becomes progressively bigger, or better yet, your understanding of who He is progressively conforms to reality, your faith will become increasingly stronger. When your understanding of who Jesus is progressively conforms to the reality of who he is, your faith will become increasingly stronger. 
And that's why the scriptures have been written, brothers and sisters, so that our understanding of Jesus Christ can continually be conformed to reality so that we can have a true picture of who he is for the strengthening of our faith. In the last part of question 21, this faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. The Spirit works faith in us through the word of God, which we have seen is the firm and reliable truth of God. The Apostle John wrote at the end of his gospel, that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. All of the things that the Apostle John wrote about Jesus, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John wrote the gospel to give us a true picture of who Jesus is. The more we study the gospels of the entire Bible, the more then we see who Jesus is, our understanding of him conforms to reality. And then we see more and more how reliable he is as an anchor for our faith. Then our faith grows when we see Jesus' heart of love to save sinners like us. When we see that he is gentle and lowly in heart. Our faith grows when we see his commitment to saving us. A commitment that he showed by setting his face toward Jerusalem by walking toward the cross and by hanging there in his love for us. Our faith grows when we see his power to save, his power which we showed, he showed by healing so many people and which we heard about this morning as well. Our faith grows when we see the proof of his resurrection, the many witnesses who saw him alive, and then we can be certain that he has defeated sin and death. Our faith grows in the anchor for as sorry, our faith grows in the anchor for our souls as we learn more about him. So the busier you are listening to and studying the gospel, the more certain you can become of that heavenly anchor of your soul, Jesus. If your faith is weak, you do not need a break from the Bible. In fact, you need it more. We need the gospel more in our lives. That's how the Spirit will strengthen our faith. And so in the next number of weeks, we'll be examining the Apostles' Creed, which is is a summary of what we confess of our faith, the content of our faith. And as we do so, it's my prayer that we'll grow in our knowledge of our anchor. And that as we know more and more about Jesus, then we will become more and more convinced of the truth. And that as our faith in him grows, then we will also grow to love him more and more for who he is. Brothers and sisters, is faith a firm belief in something for which there is no proof? No, our faith is certain because our faith is founded upon the sure evidence of God's word upon the truth. Our faith is certain because it is founded upon the sure revelation of God through Jesus Christ, upon the sure and steady anchor for our souls. Let's look to Jesus, brothers and sisters, and let's say with the voice of faith, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. Amen.